Please stand for the reading of the word. Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon and again at three o'clock, he did the same thing. At five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw some more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? They replied, because no one hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us, who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. I got it. Huh? I got it. I got it. Thank you, sir. How we doing, Hope City? Good? It's good to see you. Thank you for reading that for us. I have noticed something about human nature. I've been thinking about this and I wanna see if maybe you've noticed it too, okay? I've noticed about myself and I think about other people that anytime I'm working really hard at something, like cleaning the house or trying to lose weight or maybe trying to build something, I've noticed that I am painfully aware of how much harder I'm trying than everyone else around me. Have you noticed that? Am I the only one? I don't think so. So like, for example, um, you decide you wanna lose some weight and so you're eating like overnight oats for breakfast and somebody at your job is eating a donut and you don't mean to be nasty, but in your mind you're thinking, must be nice, some of us are trying to get healthy over here. Some of us are really trying to watch what we eat. Slob. You know, or uh, maybe you spent the last 40 minutes like cleaning the kitchen and doing the dishes and you're painfully aware that your spouse has been using the bathroom for the last 40 minutes. And you think to yourself, must be nice to just be able to go in the bathroom and close the door for 40 minutes. Or when your coworker leaves the office early or when a friend posts a picture of them eating at Lamu and you're trying to save money and you think, man, you know, must be nice. Like we're over here, like really being responsible with our money. And the point of all of this is that it's human nature when you're trying really hard to keep score. It's human nature. But I've noticed something else too. Let's see if you've noticed this, that Whenever I'm keeping score in my life with my spouse, with my coworkers, with parents of my kids' ball team, whenever I'm keeping score, whenever I'm noticing where I'm winning, always winning, never losing, 
I notice that I only experience negative emotions. I'm, I'm, I'm either angry or prideful or critical, but what is certain is that even though I am winning, I am not experiencing joy, not joy. Have you noticed that? So think about this. So you win the argument with your spouse, but you're not closer to each other. You noticing that you are winning has not brought you together. It's made you more spiteful or critical. Or maybe you do win the hardest worker award at work, but it's not that you're finding some deep satisfaction in your work. You actually are resenting your work more and resenting your coworkers more. Or maybe you are more responsible than your friends who are careless, but you don't feel closer to your friends. As a matter of fact, you feel incredibly lonely. Maybe you're a parent who is parenting a certain way that you feel is superior to the way that people around you are parenting, and it doesn't give you more parenting friends, does it? No, it isolates you more and more from other parents. And this is the irony of pride. This is, this is the irony of pride, that in one sense, you are impressed with yourself, right? You, you're, you're doing awesome. You're working hard. You really are impressed with yourself. And you are so grateful that you're not like other people that you detest. But at the same time, you battle deep insecurity and anxiety because a life-keeping score makes you feel both better than your peers, but also never quite good enough for yourself. Have you noticed that? You are, in fact, feeling superior to those around you, but feeling incredibly inadequate internally. It's never good enough. It's never enough. There was an interesting study done at Harvard years ago where they gave students a choice. And I'm going to ask you what choice you would make as well. The, the study went like this. They asked students, they said, we'll give you two options. Option A is that you can receive $100,000, but every one of your classmates will receive $200,000. Or option B, you can receive $50,000, but every one of your classmates will receive $25,000. So in other words, you can have twice as much, but that would be half as much as your peers. Or you could have half as much, but have twice as much as your peers. Which would you choose, I wonder? Would you rather have $100,000, but be $100,000 behind everyone around you? Or would you rather have $50,000, but be twice as far ahead? It's not, an, it's, I mean, you know, initially we're like, oh, definitely A, like, you know. But the more you think about it and the more you look inside and you really try to assess how you feel about superiority or being ahead or staying ahead, 73% of the students from Harvard chose option A. It probably says something about Harvard, you know. I'm sure the student body there is a little bit more competitive maybe than the rest of us. But there is something intrinsic about human nature and wanting to get ahead or at least feel as if we are getting all of the good things that we deserve. And then Jesus comes along in this scripture that we read today, and he gives us a glimpse of what the kingdom of heaven is like, and it offends every part of our high-achieving, hustle-and-grind culture. And in essence, Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like a man who doesn't keep score. 
The kingdom of heaven is like a man, it's like a landowner who does not keep score. Insert joke about how Little League is soft now because we don't keep score and everybody gets a trophy. But anyway, so let's see if we can't try to figure out what Jesus is trying to teach us today because if you were paying attention during the scripture reading or you've ever read this story before, it's not as easy to maybe figure out what Jesus was trying to say as we hoped it would be. So let's see if we can't figure it out. This is a parable, meaning that it's a fictional story that Jesus told meant to make a point. Jesus is trying to make a point. I had a pastor tell me one time that the point of the story of the parable of the vineyard workers is that you should never tell anyone your salary. But that's not the point. It's not the point. Probably a good lesson in life, but not the point, okay? The reason that Jesus tells this specific story is because of a question one of the disciples, Peter, asked. Now, we read from Matthew chapter 20. If you go back one chapter, one page, chapter 19, Peter and the disciples see this interaction that Jesus has with uh, what the Bible calls the rich young ruler. He walks away sad. Jesus makes a comment about the challenges of wealth and the kingdom of God. And then Peter asks this question in chapter 19, Peter says to Jesus, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? We've given up everything to follow you. Jesus had just asked the rich young ruler to go and sell everything and give it to the poor. He couldn't do it. Peter watching is doing the math, keeping score. And he says to Jesus, we've given up everything. What do we get? And I want us to pause for just a moment and think about how audacious this is that Peter is asking Jesus, in essence, Jesus, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? I'm following you. I've left my, my wife at home. I, I, I've, I've walked away from the family business. So what's in it for me? And while this is incredibly bold, I think a lot of us would like to ask it too. A lot of us would like to, to know if we had the guts, we'd like to ask God and, and know, hey, is this gonna pay off in the way that I hope it will pay off? Heaven, okay, good, okay. But I have some things that I'm wanting now. I have some prayers that I'm praying now. I have some goals for my life that I'm hoping to accomplish now. And I'm following you and I'm being faithful. So are you gonna do it or not? Are you gonna come through or not? Are you going to help me accomplish and get what I want or not? What's in it for me? I'm being faithful. I'm showing up, I'm giving, I'm serving. And especially if you're going through a really hard time right now in, in life, maybe with your kids or maybe with your spouse or your health or financially, it's natural to wonder if you will still stay faithful, will God work it out? If you'll stay faithful, will God come through? Will God fix it? But what we're almost certain of is if we were to turn our back on God, there's no chance that he would actually help us out or make it better. Our only hope is to stay in the game. Our only hope is to keep coming to church. Our only hope is to, is to stay faithful as a Christian. But if we do, and if we, if, we, if we really stay faithful and we don't mess up as much as we potentially could mess up, and, and if we don't miss church as, norm, as much as maybe we used to miss church, but if we really do good, then maybe, just maybe, God will reach our kids or our body will 
be healed or we will have enough money in our bank account. This is what Peter wants to know. What's in it for me? If we keep doing this, if we keep going down this road, if I keep following you, if we keep living at like the poverty level, assisting you and helping you, will this eventually pay off? And what I love about Jesus is Jesus is not offended in the least by this question. He doesn't say, how do you little, I can't believe, you're so selfish, you are so, Jesus understands human nature. Of course, Peter wants to know what's in it for him. And Jesus says, chapter 19, verse 28, he says, I assure you that when the world is made new and the son of man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. Verse 30, but many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. This and some other parts is where we get the idea that the first will be last, the last will be will be first. And so in our Bible, there's an end to a chapter and then a new chapter starts. But in real life, there is no stopping. Jesus makes this statement and then immediately jumps into the story that we read today. And here's the story. He says, there's a landowner. He owns a vineyard and he goes out five different times to find workers for the day. The Bible says, does it based on hours. But if we were making this, if we were kind of modernizing this story, the landowner goes out at 6 a.m., he goes out at 9 a.m., he goes out at 12 p.m., he goes out at 3 p.m., and he goes out at 5 p.m. He goes down to the city square in a pickup truck and says, hop in the back if you want some work. Now, the, the, the work day back then is just sun up to sundown. There's no generators, there's no lights, and so they work from sun up to sundown, and so Around 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. is the work day, a 12-hour work day, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So the guys he picks up at 6 a.m. work all day long in the scorching heat. But there were other guys who showed up at 5 p.m. They get out of the truck, they go out, they get whatever it is they get to work, and then an hour later the bell rings and work is over. And they come in. And the landowner says to his clerk or his accountant, he says, you know, go ahead and settle up with everybody. And, and to the first guys at 6 a.m., the landowner had said, I'll give you a day's wage. And, and at that time, that would be about $100 a day. So it was what you needed to take care of your family. You come work, he said to those first guys, and I'll give you $100 today. You're gonna work 12 hours for $100. And so he brings everybody in and he says to his accountant, he says, settle up with everybody. And the guys who got there at 5 p.m., you know, an hour ago, they come up to get their pay. They, 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 the, the guy takes out the cash and he hands them $100, a full day's wage. They've been there an hour and they get $100. Then the guys who showed up at 3 p.m., they get $100. 12 p.m., same thing, $100. 9 a.m., $100. 
Now, the guys who got there at 6 a.m., they've been in the back of the line, but they're doing math. They know how long they've been there. They're keeping score. They know how hard they have worked. And they assume that surely, surely, they're gonna get more than the jokers who just got here an hour ago and half of them took a smoke break. They hardly even worked 45 minutes. Now, let me ask you a question. If you were in the 6 a.m. group, what would you do? What would you do? You've been there all day. You opened it up. You opened shop. You've been there all day. And you watch as 45-minute smoke break group gets a full day's wage and working all the way down the line, what would you do? You'd be livid. You would be livid, insane. You would be cursing. You would be yelling. Of course you would. If this were 2023, you'd form a union, you'd go on social media, you'd sue the landowner, and guess what? You'd win. You would post it on Facebook and there would be a thousand comments and 975 of them would be outraged for you. Are you kidding? What's the name of this vineyard? We're boycotting the wine. Boycott. Outrage. And you'd be right. You'd be absolutely right. So if it's offensive and it's wrong, if we read this and based on what we know to be true about work ethic and business and finance, this seems to go against everything that is right, what point could Jesus possibly be trying to make? What, what is Jesus saying that we shouldn't clock in and clock out? Is he saying that we should go renegotiate with our boss tomorrow morning when we get to work? What's he saying? Well, remember the question that Jesus is answering. Do you remember the question? Peter asked, Jesus, what's in it for me? I've got goals in life. I've got ambitions. I've got financial, you know, things I would like to accomplish. So what's in it for me? And maybe you're asking that right now too. Maybe there's some thought in the back of your mind. Is it worth it to be a Christian? Is it worth it to stay faithful? Can I trust God to provide for my needs? Is this going to get any better? Will God come through? Does he hear me when I pray? Is there any payoff to serving God? And this story Jesus is trying to make a point to Peter and he's trying to make the point to you and me that if you're wondering that right now, if you're asking the question, what is in it for me? What's the benefit of serving God? What's the reward of all of this gonna be? Jesus is trying to make the point that your reward will be incredible. Whatever it is that you're hoping will come out of all of this, what's gonna come out of it will be unbelievable, better than you ever hoped. More fulfilling, more promising, more rewarding, more blessed than you had ever hoped. But it will not be because you've earned it. 
It won't be because you've earned it. It will be because God is a gracious God. Whatever it is that your hopes and dreams are for your life, that you're hoping God will come through, maybe he will. If he doesn't, he has something better. If he does, it will be better than you hoped. But it will not be because you figured out how to negotiate and get the upper hand on God. It won't be because, you know, you figured out how to hack the system. It won't be because God takes an inventory of everybody in the church and says, them some jokesters over there, but I really like him because he is like, there more than everybody else and curses less than everybody else. And he's really patient with his kids. And I tell you what, let's double, let's double bless that guy because he, I like him. Them, minimum. Them, a lot. It won't be because you've earned it. Any good that happens in your life, any blessing that happens in your life, it will be because God is a generous, gracious And I have to admit to you that as I was working on my sermon and putting together the message, I got to this part right here and I thought to myself, yeah, yeah, Jason, you talk about this all the time. Let's try to think of a different moral of the story. Like they know this, they know this moral. This is always the moral of the story, Jason. Let's think of a different moral. What's the point? What could we take out of this besides the fact that God is gracious and I can't earn it? Let's come up with something different, but we can't. Because if I stood up here every week for 30 years, every Sunday, and told you that you can't earn God's love, you can't earn God's blessings, you have nothing to prove, nothing that you can prove, that Jesus has already done all the work, you would believe me until about Monday lunch. Because by Monday lunch, you will have been surrounded by everything else and everyone else in your life pressuring you to do better, be better, get it together. And it's so ingrained in us that every week we've got to come back together. It's the reason that we come to the table. It's the reason we take communion every week because we take the bread and we drink the juice and we are reminded that it was the cross that did the work. And Jesus is wanting to make it clear, in my kingdom, there is no earning, only receiving. Let me say it again. He's trying to make the point to you and me that in God's kingdom, not at your job, not in high school when you get grades for tests, not on the sports team where hopefully the best performers get in the starting lineup, but in the God's kingdom, there is no earning. There's no earning. There's only receiving. And when you wake up tomorrow morning, you have nothing to prove. You have nothing you can earn. The jury's not out on you in any way when it comes to God and the way that he feels about you and the reason he loves you and the way that he saved you. Nothing to earn, everything to receive. 
And so how can I know if I'm trying to earn from God? How can I tell if I'm part of the 6 a.m. crowd? How how can I know if potentially I have forgotten what is vital to the Christian faith and I have started believing that God's looking for the hardest workers? Well, this story gives us at least one way that we can tell. There are more, but I just wanna give you one, one litmus test that we can know whether or not we have stopped believing that the gospel is receiving and we've started believing that it's earning one way, at least in this story that we can tell, a litmus test that we can try is resentment. Resentment. One of the ways I can tell if I have lost sight of the unearned favor, blessing, and salvation of God is resentment. Let me ask you a question. Who wouldn't want to work for this guy? I'm serious. I mean, what do you think happened when word got out around town that whether you work an hour or 12 hours, you still get a hundy? You think anybody wants to work for him? You think anybody else, any other vineyard owners are losing workers? because everybody wants to go work in this vineyard, who wouldn't wanna work for a guy who will pay you a full day's wage even when you only clocked in for an hour? Everybody, right? No, not everybody. You know who doesn't wanna work for this guy? Earners. Earners, hard workers, rule followers. They don't wanna work for this guy because this guy's not fair. This guy doesn't play by the rules. This guy obviously wants to reward bad work ethic. This guy's creating dependency. No, they don't wanna work for this guy. Everyone else, yeah, a boss who pays a full day regardless of when you start, yes, but not earners. And for you and me, this speaks to grace. And whether or not grace is offensive to us. See, grace is offensive to people, only to people who don't believe that they need it. See, if you believe you need grace, grace is the greatest gift that you could receive. It's the greatest thing that God could do. But if you begin to fall into this mindset that you don't need grace, then grace becomes offensive. It becomes enabling It becomes part of the problem and why people can't get it together. And one of the ways throughout Christian history that pastors and teachers and and theologians have have, uh, tested their love or disdain for grace for thousands of years throughout Christian history, one of the ways that they've tested in themselves whether or not they are loving grace or they are resenting grace is the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross. You know this story? Jesus is hanging on the cross. There are two criminals beside him and one is mocking him and the other one finally speaks up and says, 
this is the Messiah, this is Christ. And then he says to Jesus, remember me when you in, in, enter into your kingdom, when you enter into paradise. And Jesus says, today you will be with me. This is a last minute conversion. This is a deathbed salvation. This is the guy on death row who knows he's about to die and has been a terrible human being, but he's got about five minutes left, so he better get that salvation prayer in there. That's who this is. And he gets in. He gets in. It's the dad who left you, the person who abused you, the boss who betrayed you, the business partner who stole the money, the brother or the sister who's been rotten their entire life towards you and then gets the cancer diagnosis and wants to make sure they can slide in. This is the thief on the cross. And when I say that to you, when I describe this last minute down to the wire conversion, what do you feel inside? What are your thoughts towards the thief on the cross who gets in with a minute or two to spare? The death row inmate who prays with the priest before he walks to the chair. How, how does it make you feel? Is it fair? I mean, let's take it a step further. If I told you that you could abandon it all and go do whatever you want to, and right before you go, I'll know and I'll find you and I'll give you a chance and you can slide in, would you go? I mean, if you had that chance, if you knew that you would have the chance right before you died to go, would you do it? And if you would, first of all, you're a human being. But second of all, you have not yet understood the gospel. You haven't understood it yet. You're, you're like the older brother that we talked about two weeks ago in the, in the, the, the parable of the prodigal sons who couldn't believe that the younger brother would get the fattened calf when he had stayed the entire time. Of course he wants to come home. He ran out of money, dad. You're just gonna throw him a party? I've never disobeyed you and you've never thrown me a party. The gospel says that when you meet the landowner who's willing to pay you more than you deserve. You wanna spend the rest of your life working for that guy. Nobody else can pull you away. No other job is lucrative enough to get you to, 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 to leave him because you know what kind of man he is. He's the kind of man that would pay you a full day when you only worked an hour. I know how he treats his people. And I wanna spend my life serving him. And maybe you're here today, you're a Christian and you would admit, Jason, I don't have as much joy as I used to have. I've lost my joy. I'm not a happy Christian. I'm not a joyful Christian. I, I'm not celebratory. I, I, I don't throw parties anymore. I do find myself keeping score. 
I, I do find myself wondering how many chances they're gonna get. I didn't need that many chances. Maybe you're here and you would say, I, I don't wanna be a judgmental person. I don't wanna be a resentful person, but I, I don't have my joy anymore. Can I, can I tell you where you probably lost it? You probably lost it when you started trying to earn God's love. And the irony of pride kicked in that as you tried to earn, you actually started doing better, but felt worse about yourself. You actually did become a little bit more superior than the other parents or the other business owners or the other marriages. It did get better. It is not doing all the things that they did and you don't say all the things that they say, but why is it that you don't somehow feel more loved by God? Instead, you feel like you don't measure up. Instead, you, you feel like God is, is harder on you than he's ever been. It's because somewhere along the way, you stopped believing that he was a gracious, generous God who would give to you what you did not deserve and you started believing that he was looking for the best, hardest workers and you tried to start earning it. And all of us have things that we hope God will do. Maybe you're here today and you say, I want my kids to serve the Lord and they're not serving the Lord. Is he gonna do something about that? I don't wanna be alone and I'm still alone and all of my friends are in relationships now. Is he gonna do something about that? Financially, I keep struggling. Is he going to do something about that? My body's breaking down. Is he going to do something about that? I, I don't want to get hurt or attacked. I want to be free from danger. Is he going to do something about that? I don't know. I don't know if God will, and I don't know if what you're hoping will happen will happen or if it will pay off the way that you hoped that it would pay off. But if it does, and if he does, it won't be because you've earned it. It will be because of his gracious generosity. And even as I say this, we're gonna take communion in just a moment, but even as I say that, here, here is how tricky the devil is. That even as I'm saying that, there are some of you who are going, you are so right, you are so right. You know what, I gotta do better about that. I have been trying to be really good and I recognize now that I haven't been and I promise I'll do better about not trying to be better. <laughs> you're right, you're right, you're right. I'm so sorry. I won't do that anymore. I promise, God, I won't try to be good for you anymore. I promise. It's so ingrained into us that we can't even hear the message of grace without thinking that there's at least one hurdle to receiving it. And so if you're here today, we, let me say it this way, we are here today. Many of us started at 6 a.m. And if you're here today and you would say, I'm more judgmental than I wanna be, I'm more resentful than I wanna be, I'm more critical than I wanna be, I don't love people the way I wanna love people, I don't celebrate the way I wanna celebrate, can I tell you what you need to do? It isn't try harder. It's going to God and saying, God, I have a problem that I cannot work myself out of. But you are a gracious and generous God. And so I'm giving it to you. 
I'm asking you to solve a problem that I cannot solve myself. I'm asking you to fix in me things that I desperately want fixed that I have tried but cannot fix for myself. And I don't know how you're gonna do it and I don't know when you're gonna do it, but I'm laying down my life, my opinions, my need for control. And I'm trusting that you will help me experience the joy of my salvation again. And you will help me stop believing that I can earn it. You say, Jason, how, will, how do I know that he'll do that? Because of the cross. Because while you were still a sinner, because while you had no ability to put all the things together to, 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 to make your case, he went to the cross. And so today, you'll have the opportunity in just a moment. I'm gonna pray for us and... Um, we're gonna take communion and, and our prayer team will be up here. But today when you come forward and you take the bread and you dip it into that juice, we remember Philippians that said that Jesus, though he was God, did not wonder what was in it for him. But instead, he thought about what was in it for you. And he came to earth and he took on the form of a servant and he laid down his life to death on the cross and the bread represents the body that was broken and the juice represents the blood that was shed. And when he said it is finished, he meant a lot of things, but one thing for sure that he meant was you trying to earn it is over. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you, God, that every time I start trying to earn your approval, I can remember that I already have it. And every time that I, God, try to start um, fixing my self-worth and my insecurity by doing better, I can remember that I am already completely and utterly loved by you. And so God, I pray for all of us in the room who have the tendency to be the older brother, the 6 a.m. crew, I pray that where we spot and identify resentment and jealousy in our heart towards you or towards others, we would fall in love again, embrace grace again. God, I pray for every person who's hearing my voice right now who would say that they need that grace. They recognize today that they do need a savior and they do need that grace and that maybe they've been trying their whole life to earn something and it just hasn't worked. And maybe today for the first time they realize they can't. God, I pray that today they would see you as a truly gracious, generous father. Every head bowed, eye closed, nobody looking around. If you're here today and you would say, Jason, I'm ready to start a relationship with Jesus. I don't really know all that that means exactly, but I know enough to know that as you were speaking today, my heart was stirred, my soul was moved because I know that I've been spending my entire life trying to be somebody or prove something. But if Jesus has already done it for me, then I want to accept that and start a relationship with Jesus. While nobody's looking around, I'm not gonna embarrass you or make you come down front or anything like that. But if that's you, would you just throw your hand up, just make eye contact with me? I'm ready to start a relationship with Jesus Christ today. Yeah, yeah, I see you can put it down. Anybody else? Yeah, anybody else? Yeah, praise God. Anybody else? I'm ready to start a relationship with Jesus Christ today. All right, everybody stand up with me if you would. 
Several hands went up this morning, and we're going to pray a simple prayer together. Too simple. Matter of fact, it's so simple that earners will hate this prayer. But we're going to pray it together to give confidence and boldness to those who are maybe praying it for the first time or the first time in a long time. And if you raised your hand today, that's just a simple act. But the Bible says that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he earned it for you, that you will be saved. So let's pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner. Please save me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I give my life to you. I give you control. The next time I fall, help me to get up and to run to you and not away from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can we celebrate with those who started a relationship with Christ?